Are you looking for an athletic scholarship? You're in the right place. This is the Recruit Me Athletic Scholarship Podcast, the longest running podcast on recruiting and athletic scholarships. We're here to help your family navigate the recruiting road all the way to an athletic scholarship. He's a recruiting expert and a dad of a D1 athlete and a high school athlete pursuing a scholarship. With a wealth of experience to share, here's Recruit Me CEO, Brent Hanks. Episode 244 is part one of an interview with a track and field Olympian, a college All-American, and a former track and field coach. Cameron Wright and his family moved to Ozark about two years ago from the Southern Illinois area. Cameron and his wife have three children. One graduated from high school, one junior in high school, and a daughter in junior high. I have got to know Cameron at basketball and baseball games and on the golf course. I found out he coached track and field at SIU for nine years, four as the head coach. He was a five-time high jump All-American. He was a four-time Missouri Valley Conference champion and a first-team All-Academic honoree. Cameron was inducted into the Saluki Hall of Fame for track and field in 2011, and he also competed as a high jumper in the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. Let's talk track and field recruiting with my friend Cameron Wright. Well, welcome, Cameron. Good to, good to be here, Brent. Well, thanks for uh, sharing your time, and uh, we'll kind of get into some recruiting on uh, track and field. So uh, can you tell the Recruit Me families uh, about your college and other athletic accomplishments? Well, I was... Uh athlete at Southern Illinois University. Uh, that was in Carbondale, Illinois. Got recruited there. Uh, decided to go there early my um, senior year. At that time, I was a 6'10 jumper at Marion High School in Illinois. And Southern recruited me and, and signed me to a scholarship. It was about 30 miles down the road. And then about two weeks later, I jumped seven foot. And then a, a, a week after that, I jumped seven one and won the state championship. So after that, I got a lot of calls from colleges and universities all over the country, but I was already signed because I was kind of a late bloomer and came along late, but it all worked out well because at the time, Southern Illinois had the national champion, Darren Plab. So I ended up going there and competing at Southern Illinois for four years. Had a lot of success at SIU, uh, was a five-time All-American at SIU, was a four-time Missouri Valley Conference champion, uh, still own the Missouri Valley Conference high jump record at seven, five and a quarter. My senior year indoors uh, led me to qualifying to, for the Olympic trials. And then uh, I made the Olympic, at the Olympic trials, I was, I finished third and was on the 1996 Olympic team, the one that was in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, was able to be on that team and compete for the United States and represent my country. After that, I became the assistant coach at SIU for five years, and then that led to the head coach for four years. So I, I, I was there at Southern for over around 15 years of my life. The first 15 years of my life were, were spent at SIU and, and as an athlete capacity or from a coaching capacity. Well, and we're lucky our, our two boy, two of our boys, uh, you, you have some other kids, but our boys uh, get to play basketball and baseball together. So tell us a little bit about your family, your wife and your kids. Well, Alyssa, I met my wife, Alyssa at, at SIU. She, she was a track athlete on the women's team, quite accomplished herself. She was um, at SIU. She was the third fastest 400 hurdler in SIU history. Just missed qualifying for the NCAA Division uh, Championship, the Division One Championship meet there by about a half a second, and just was really a, a tough, a, a tough athlete and a hard worker. 
uh, we got married shortly after we graduated and uh, we have three children. Uh, the oldest one is in the Air Force. Uh, Braxton Wright is his name. He ran track for a while, but uh, he lost his senior year due to COVID. So that that's dumb. But then we have uh, the, the son that that you, you know, you're familiar with is Devin and Devin's a junior at Ozark and he plays basketball and plays baseball. And, uh, and then there's Bria, who's my seventh grade daughter. And, uh, and she runs track and she plays other things as well. Soccer, a lot of soccer, but uh, yeah, we've got a good family here. And uh, you just got done visiting Braxton. He's in the military. So thank you for uh, him serving for our country and uh, glad you got to go out and see him. Oh yeah. He's out in California and doing great, really thriving. And I tell you what, the military really matures uh, our children. It was, it was something else. We come from a military family. I probably myself would have ended up going to the Navy had I not got a track scholarship. We're, we're very proud of Braxton and and he's, he's thriving uh, in, in, in the Air Force right now. Well, that's great. So you said you coached track and field for nine years at, uh, at SIU at Southern Illinois. Uh, tell us about some of your athletes and some of your team's success. You know, when I took over the program, the program was really kind of not doing well. Uh, the head coach was battling Parkinson's disease. We were trying to keep the program af- afloat, but we were probably around middle of the pack to the Valley of teams in the, in the Missouri Valley Conference. So we weren't doing very well. We kind of had a complete rebuild. I was very young at the time, and I wanted to get the program back up and running. So uh, what I did, what I did was I went through and had a method of of uh, going to get JUCO uh, All Americans and also international kids, and I tried to get some local kids as well that uh, I could get to walk on or give partial scholarships to. We ended up finishing fourth my first year and we got up to third. And then my, my last year there, we ended up getting second. You know, we had some success and we were getting better. Cameron, I'm not too familiar with college track and field, but you, you mentioned indoor. So there's outdoor uh, season and indoor season. Is that right? Yes, there is. And there's also cross country. Yes. So a distance runner would, would be cross country, indoor and outdoor. They'd have three seasons in one, one year. Later, we're going to talk a little bit about the number of scholarships, but whenever you do scholarships uh, for track and field, it includes cross country also. Yes, it does. So how many athletes do you have on a normal or an average uh, track and field uh, team? Track and field teams have probably around 28 28 athletes, and you've got 16 events outdoors, and I believe 11 events indoors. You've got multiple athletes that do multiple events. Uh, they do long, like long jump, triple jump, or 100, 200 relay men. And then you've got distance runners who run the mile and the two mile, or you know the 3,000, the 5,000, or whatever the case is. So you've got people that double up all the time. And then in that 12.6 for men, now women get 18, okay. uh, but for the 12.6 for the men, that also includes the cross country guys. And usually you have at least five or six distance guys because you have to have five to have a cross country team. So you usually spend around four scholarships for your cross for your distance runners altogether. Are the events basically the same for men and women in in a meet? Yes, they are. Now we're talking D1 scholarships. So tell us again, how many men's uh, 
track and field and cross country scholarships you get in a D1 program and how many women's? Men get 12.6 scholarships and women get 18. How many of those uh, do you give a full athletic scholarship to a uh, student athlete? We had a rule at Southern that you need, you had to be an all American to get a full. Okay. Um, that, you know, or you had to be a 20 point conference score. You know, if you're a single event athlete, like uh, say a high jumper and that's all you needed to go and be an all American to get the full ride scholarship. And, and then here's the thing, you can stretch these scholarships out, Brent. Whereas let's say I'm an athlete and the Southern calls or Missouri state or Nebraska, whoever calls and says, Hey, we'd like to give you a full scholarship. And you're like, great. And then you say, well, my dad's work has a little stipend and they're going to give me $2,000. Okay, great. Well, that goes off the total cost of the scholarship. So now you would put that towards your scholarship. Southern would take that off of their scholarship or the university would, and you'd be now, instead of a full ride scholarship, you'd be worth like 0.89. Or, and then maybe you got uh, academic help. And so you get, you say you get like a tuition waiver because of your academics. Well, that moves you down to a, a 0.53% of the scholarship. You're not paying anything still, but many times these universities, uh, the money that you get from outside sources, they take that away from their offer and they pay for everything that you, the scholarships that you got, you have coming in, doesn't pay for it. Does that make sense? Yes. And that and happens a lot of times with people that, that qualify for Pell Grant. Many times people that qualify for Pell Grant, they get everything paid for and except for the Pell Grant. And that helps the university save money. So you can stretch out your 12.6 scholarships and many schools do that. There are some schools that allow a, a really great athlete to keep their Pell. And that means they get a few thousand dollars a semester on top of their scholarship that could help them pay for different things. There's just ways to, to stretch out these scholarships uh, and, ma- and make it go longer so you can get more athletes on your team. Yeah, the more you can stretch it out, the stronger your team could possibly be. That's correct. Most high school student athletes coming in as freshmen into a college probably aren't going to get they don't have an opportunity to really earn that full ride scholarship that SIU kind of set parameters down on, but their junior year, they could possibly qualify for a, for a full ride. Is that correct? Yeah. You you might come into a university making, maybe you come in getting a fees and books, which would be like 25% of scholarship, The, the mom and dad, or you're taking a student loan out or whatever to pay for the rest. You have a, a very good freshman year, coach may come up and say, Hey, we're going to pay for your tuition. Then, you know, you, so now you're, you get a little bit more. It, it, it ends up being where they, they try to help you out and get you more and more scholarship. The more you're helping out the team is the way it worked. And you mentioned earlier that uh, when you first started and tried to rebuild the program there at SIU, you recruited from the JUCO ranks. So student athletes from high school can go to JUCO and go for one or two years before they go to a four-year program like SIU, or they can come out of high school and go right into the four-year program. What are some advantages of going to a JUCO out of high school for track and field? Honestly, for track and field, I think the ability to go and be in smaller classrooms, uh, get some of your undergraduate work done at at a low cost. For instance, if you feel like you're going to go to a university these universities these days are, co- are a lot of times 15, 20, even on up to $50,000 a year 
And so if there's a program that wants to have you come in and you can get your all your undergrad stuff done, compete right away. Uh, there's some good coaches at the JUCO ranks. Get your numbers a little better, you know, get your performances better, and then try to get into a Division One school. Maybe you're uh, you're going to the JUCO ranks and all you're getting is looks at D2, uh, you know, and, and you're not looking and maybe even some NAIA looks or whatever. And you have the dream of playing Division One. Well, you can go to a JUCO and you can get better for a couple of years. Maybe you're a late bloomer and uh, and then you can go to a JUCO, get better and then go into a Division One school for your last two or three years. And we've talked about on some of our uh, podcasts about an advantage of JUCO is you get to go compete against kids basically your age instead of competing against juniors and seniors that are pretty much fully developed. You get to kind of compete against them. And then, and then whenever you're ready, you can transfer and compete at, a, you know, at 21, 22, 23 years old. That's, that's a great point. I mean, that's another good advantage. Just some people need a little time to mature. You know, there's even local uh, junior colleges where athletes can stay home, uh, save money that way, get their education, get their degree, be in the comfort of all that. It can be a shock to as a freshman, 18 years old, just to go off to some division one school that has 25,000, 20,000 students in their school. And all of a sudden you're just there and you're going to, there's a lot of kids that get swallowed up. And, you know, they're out of the comfort of their home, out of the comfort of their family. They end up just not performing like they thought they should. And so there's, there's advantages to going to the junior college route. And you mentioned you had international student athletes on your team. Uh, how did you recruit them? How did, how did you come about uh, international type of students? We had connections uh, with different coaches over there. Their student athletes over there are looking to come into the United States as well. The university setting at the NCA system in the United States is a system that everybody's clamoring to come and be a part of, which makes it so ironic to hear about paying athletes and this and that. I mean, across the world, people would die to be in this kind of a situation. It's a great, uh, the NCA system is, and the JUCO system is a great system to be able to continue developing yourself, uh, giving yourself a chance to, to do different things like make it to a minor league baseball team or play professional football or make an Olympic team, you know, or get into the PGA Tour. It gives you four or five more years where you can just develop yourself, develop your body, and try to, you know, see see how far you can really take it. Uh, you were in the Olympics. Uh, you probably competed against people that were international athletes but went to college in, in the United States. Oh, yeah. We made several connections with Kenyans. We brought people in from Israel. We brought people in from Estonia. Uh, we brought people in from France. We brought people in through the uh, Jamaica, uh, Trinidad, Tobago, Bahamas. We had connections and, and we brought athletes in from all over the place. And once you bring one in, then they get to know you and then they'll, they can kind of have a pipeline with other athletes. Missouri State here had a tremendous pipeline with people from the uh, islands down there in the Caribbean, uh, most, mostly because they had coaches on their staff that, that were from the Caribbean. And so people get connections and they get comfortable and they bring people over and it's, it's a win-win for everybody. So basically high school students and parents need to understand track and field. You're competing not only in your area and nationwide, you're competing uh, globally for uh, spots on a, a college uh, team. 
for track and field, that is the case. Yes. Uh, I would say for tennis, it's the case. Golf, it's the case. And swimming, that's the case as well. Yes. Speaking of uh, high school students, uh, what can a high school student athlete do uh, during their high school season to get a college coach's attention? Well, obviously, the number one thing is, is performance. The one thing I would like to say is that these coaches are incredibly busy. People don't realize that, you know, these, these coaches are out here. They're competing or they're, they're, they're training their athletes. They're traveling with their athletes. And then what other spare time they have, they're recruiting. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions that parents have is they sit there and they go, how in the heck are, is no one not recognizing my son or my daughter? You know, she ran an 11, um, eight the other day right over here at Springfield, Missouri. And why aren't they noticing her? Well, because they're extremely busy and they're overworked people is the reason why. I mean, these coaches are already working during season 70, 80 hour weeks, if you include the travel. The fact that they miss a meet that might be in Willard, Missouri, or might be in Kansas City, Missouri, or wherever, and didn't know that you know, your son or daughter maybe just broke a school record, that that news doesn't travel. What does travel is what they do at state. Uh, if there's state performances, if there's all state performances where you got all state and something, you know, those things they see and they recognize and they notice them. But just little bitty things, little bitty meets, little bitty competitions, games, they don't know what happened. So word of mouth starts becoming very important. If you're lucky, you'll have a coach uh, that really tries to promote their players. That's that's kind of give or take. I mean, most of the time you probably won't have that. Uh, it's it's very important to to self promote. I think it's important to to send letters out to coaches. I believe in sending packets out, sending up finding 50, 60 schools that you want to go to, sending a packet with your transcripts, a, a personal letter from you to them. And also, if you can, a highlight video, because what happens is, is that coach is going to get a packet of information. And if it's a, if it's a letter, they're going to read it. First thing the coach is going to do is they're going to take that transcript and they're going to send it down to the compliance department and they're going to send it right first thing. And the compliance department is going to take a day or two. They're going to get back with them and say, this person's eligible or this person's not eligible, or this person might be eligible if they have a good, solid last year and they don't mess up. Now you've got their attention even more because the last thing in the world a coach wants to do that he doesn't have much time is spend a lot of time on someone that they're not even going to be able to get eligible in. So once they figure out, oh, this person's eligible to compete, now you're more likely to be able to talk to them personally on a, on a phone call. And, and, that, and that's really what you want. Once you start getting phone calls, mailings are nice. That means they're kind of interested in you. But once it comes time and they start calling on the phone, that's when you know they're interested. And you know they're really interested when they, when they offer you to come in for a visit to see the school. There are official and unofficial visits, and we've talked about that. Um, are, are there, is there relevance bet between whether they, they ask you for an unofficial visit or an official visit? I believe there's relevance. If they come in, if they're, they're offering an official visit and you're accepting, because I don't know if it's changed in the last few years, but it was only five official visits before. It still is. Okay, so... If they were going to spend one of their five official visits on you, that meant that they were interested in you and that they that they wanted you to 
if they're not interested in using one of their five visits, they might come in for an unofficial visit. And they can, they can I believe those are unlimited. That's where the school pays nothing. You, you pay every, all of the expenses on official visits. They can pay for your lodging. They can pay for all your food. You know, they can pay for all of that. Yes. And, and that's, that's nice. And travel. They can yeah, pay yeah, they can travel. pay for travel. Just because you don't get invited to an official visit and they invite you to an unofficial visit, don't look down on an unofficial visit because they may be either out or, in Parker's case, they they save the official visit for after they sign so they can bring all the recruits in. So we had a nice get together and got to meet everybody. So, absolutely. So kind yeah. of have to kind of ask how they use official and unofficial visits sometimes. And I don't know with the whole COVID thing too. Some of these smaller programs very likely could be strapped for some cash and they yes. may not be doing any official visits. What you kind of explained is really what Recruit Me talks about in sending packets and videos and so forth. But I want to circle back to, you mentioned that uh, uh, college recruiters in track and field will pay attention to the state playoffs. Is that because they, they kind of know what the competition is and it's in one place? And so, so like yeah. if you were at SIU, would you pay attention to just Illinois or would you pay attention to Illinois, Missouri, Kentucky? How, how far would you get that state high school information? I would try to get it anywhere within the local 10 to 12 states. Uh, I would find out their performance. I, I, have, I went to the Missouri State Championships personally, went to the Illinois, obviously, went to the Indiana. Unfortunately, a lot of times the state meets are the same weekend, so you can't be everywhere. Sometimes you send your assistants one place and you go another. It's just very important to get out there and see these kids. And that's the place where everybody can go in there. You see all the top flight competition all in one spot. Now, when we're talking baseball, obviously, if you're a strong player, you might be on a team that's just not very good. Let's say you're a great hitter, but you're on a team that has no pitching. You're not going to state. And so that guy there could get lost, lost in the shuffle. I feel like with track and field, you have very few people that get lost kind of in the, in the weeds. You qualify for state, you get there, and you kind of show yourself. And it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's very solid. With baseball, with softball, with volleyball even, it can be very subjective. Uh, some of these, I mean, swimming, golfing, you know, these are flat out scores, flat out performances. Here they are. I did this. I, 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 this is exactly what I did. This was my score. I did that here. With baseball, you know, you might have a kid in some school playing class two ball, hitting 550, and you might have a kid in class six ball hitting 350, but the kid that's in class six could be a better hitter just because he's going up against college level pitchers, you know, every game. You can miss, I would say, a lot easier in baseball sports like that versus in other sports that are flat out like track and field. Join me next week for part two of an interview with Cameron Wright. We will cover track and field camps, how you have to have bravery in the recruiting process, and the great opportunities and fun college can be. I'm starting a series taken from the actual Recruit Me 3.0 manual. The whole Recruit Me 3.0 athletic scholarship system has videos, audio clips, and a 200-plus page manual and workbook to walk you step-by-step -step through the whole recruiting process and get quick results. Go to recruit-me.com to get more information on the Recruit Me 3.0 system. Here is some advice from the Recruit Me families. Here's what Bob wrote about control of the recruiting process. 
My daughter is a basketball player currently in her junior year and is excited about having coaches write, email, and come and see her play. She is still a long way from landing a scholarship at a school she wants to attend, but without Recruit Me, she wouldn't even be considered. Yes, you do the work, but it's worth it in the end because you have total control and focus of your son or daughter, and you don't leave it up to someone who has several other interests. Thank you for listening to the Athletic Scholarship Podcast, and tune in next Tuesday for another 15 minutes or more to learn about the athletic recruiting process.